Good morning. My name is Mark Brant. I'm on staff here at Hope in the uh, online ministry department. I get to hang out with the folks that are watching online right now from around uh, the country, around the state. Uh, it's really fun to be able to do that, but it's great to also be here with you. And I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge what we just watched in a very real way as a way to thank you to those that have served and to family members who have lost loved ones who have served in conflict. I had a grandfather that served. I had an uncle that served. I have a brother-in-law who is currently in the guard. And believe it or not, my wife was actually in the army for a period of time in her life as well. Uh, so she shot M16s and threw live grenades. So I have to be very careful. Um, but that's an honest thing. You all have, you know what sacrifice is. You accepted a calling to serve in a very radical way. And for that, we do need to say thank you this Memorial Day weekend for doing and taking uh, away from your livelihood here to go wherever God has called you to serve. So thank you so much for that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we as a church have a calling too. And it's uh, not unlike that, that. We're being called to share and to go to places with a message of freedom and of hope that comes from knowing who Jesus Christ is. It's the same message that has been present for over 2,000 years within the start of the church, this summer of Acts that we're about to embark upon. The book of Acts was written by Luke, the author of the gospel, as an accounting of the early church. And there were basically two missions at work during this entire book. There was uh, Peter and the disciples who were called to take that good news to the Jewish folks at the time. And then there was Paul, who will come along the scene here in about eight or nine chapters into Acts, whose mission was to the Gentiles, those who weren't of the Jewish faith at the time. Two parallel missions with the exact same goal, each fraught with a lot of danger because at this time in early Christendom, it was not safe to share the good news of God. It was not safe to go out and to sit like we are right now, some 2,000 of us in this room, worshiping God freely. Back then, the movement was very much underground because the status quo was threatened by this idea of a grace that comes freely for people. And so Jesus came on the scene to bring a new sense of understanding of who God was and needed that good news to spread even after his death. And so he charged the disciples with this mission to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And we're going to talk about that, what that looks like for us as people of God here in the now. Because summer vacation is upon us. And it's easy to think, well, in summer, my, my boys are now done with school. Uh, they're ready to sleep in. Uh, and it's a cool thing for them. And for the rest of us, it's like, oh, we get to take a breath and maybe relax in the summer. But I'm here to tell you, this, this book of Acts is not going to allow us to relax. It's going to challenge us. There are shipwrecks. There are missions. There are fights, if you believe it or not, about how to do this best. And it's going to challenge us as a church to continue this mission. We can't just take a vacation from our faith in the summer. We need to dig in harder to understand that there is a mission that we share with those disciples from that early church in Acts that is still ongoing today. But the best part about this mission is God says, I'm not going to let you do it alone. Jesus even told his friends, I'm going to gift you something to help you accomplish this mission. I'm going to gift you the Holy Spirit. He even talks about it early on in that chapter of Acts that Luke records. He says, stay here in Jerusalem until I give you the gift that I promised to you of the Holy Spirit. Where does that come from? Back up, not too much further into the Gospel of John in chapter 15 when Jesus is on his way to the cross. 
And his disciples were probably very confused by this whole process. They came into Jerusalem, if you remember from our time at Easter, thinking they were going to overthrow the government and restore the kingdom of God. And Jesus was about to do that, but in a radically different way through his death and resurrection so that that good news can be preached to the world. And so the disciples in that confusion were wondering, well, how are we going to do this, Jesus? How are we going to share this good news? You're dying. You're not with us anymore. So Jesus says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of God in us that gives us the power to share that good news. It was a gift that was going to be given. So much so that when Jesus appears to them again in Acts, he says, hey, you're going to still get this. This gift is for you. And it is a powerful gift. It's the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And I'm here to tell you today, Lutheran Church, I hope there's about 2,000 people in here. This gift is for you. Not just for the person sitting beside you, not just for the person who's been a part of church their whole life. Every single one of us in here, this gift is for you. And we're going to wrestle with what that means a little bit this morning. And to do that, I think we have to acknowledge that there's a problem with gifts. We like getting gifts, don't we? I mean, but like the Jelly of the Month Club, the gift that keeps on giving, Clark, you know, sometimes gifts come with a little bit of a proviso. Or even more so, when we're little... We're taught that gifts are conditional. Think about this. If you were a kid once and your parents took you to the grocery store, what was the carrot that they would dangle in front of you if you were good in the grocery store? You would get what? A candy bar or something. And the grocers are not dummies. They put the candy aisles right at checkout area so that you can reward that child for being good throughout the grocery store. I rarely got that candy bar. Because I wasn't always the well-put-together kid that you see right now. You see, I was the kid that loved to push the cart 47 miles an hour down the aisle and wonder why that was a problem. And so what are you taught? As a kid, you go up in the, in the row, you're looking over the candy bars, and your parents say, nope, you're not getting one today. You weren't good enough. Follow me here. Gifts are conditional, right? Based on how you are. Look at Christmas time. There's the naughty and nice list. And we'll sometimes use that as leverage for our kids' behavior, thinking behavior modification is what will need, to be, will need to happen in order for you to get whatever gift it is that you're wanting. You got to be good or Santa's not going to bring it for you. And we always threaten with that phone call, thinking that's going to work. And what, I mean, does it work? Maybe for a little while. But what it's actually teaching us is quite the opposite of what God tells us about this gift. You see, in a worldly sense, gifts are conditional. If you behave a certain way, if you measure up to a certain standard, you will get this gift. And I'm not just necessarily downplaying the idea of reward, but I'm just saying that the gift from God is not a reward or a merit-based gift. This gift that, the God, that God gives to us of the Holy Spirit is one that is for you freely. You don't have to be worthy enough to receive it. There's no worthiness test that we take about the Holy Spirit to see whether or not we can get this gift. The Holy Spirit is a free gift for us that God wants to give to us. You don't have to measure up. And this is where I think we can often get tripped up in our walk with God. Since we're conditioned early on that gifts are conditional, we have to measure up, then we think we have to be or act or do 
a certain thing in order for the Holy Spirit to be for me. I think Pastor Jeremy even talked about it in a sermon recently where behavior modification isn't what this is about. You don't have to be a certain way when you come in here. I learned this, unfortunately, the hard way early on. My family didn't grow up going to church. Early in sixth grade, I got invited with a friend to his uh, Wednesday night Bible class. And I went along because he was a neighbor of mine, and I walked in with my King James Version of the Bible that didn't have tabs, where the, when like, Genesis ended, Exodus began. It wasn't like there was a page break. And so I sat down, and they did this thing called Bible race. Maybe this is evicting some real visceral feelings for some of you right now. Where they would shout out a chapter and a verse from a book of the Bible, and we had to see who could find it the fastest. And I was left going, there's no way. Although I did find one because I opened directly to it, which was only but by the grace of God that that happens. And I'm watching around this room, and they're keeping tally marks on the board. And all I'm thinking that entire time is, I don't belong here. I don't measure up. I don't know my Bible. Truth be told, I'm 44 years old and I still have to sing the VBS song about the books of the Bible to find some of the Old Testament prophets. Can we just be honest with each other? That's okay. All right, I've done this a long time and I still don't know where they all are. We're in good company here at this church. You don't have to come in here knowing everything that you need to know about who God is in order for God to gift you with the Holy Spirit to do the work which he has called you to do. We need to start there. Because that is an important distinction for some of you in here right now who, for whom this is a new thing in understanding who the Holy Spirit is and what God's indwelling can look like for you. Maybe you're, you're caught up in that same trap of I'm not worthy. And I'm here to tell you, we are a powerful and a mighty instrument of God when we start to understand that God wants to work in and through us exactly as we are. No behavior modification necessary. And then God begins to work in us to fine-tune us in some really cool ways to do the work which he has called us. Fast forward a bit in my walk with God, and I'm, I've been working at a camp. I'm starting to get excited about my faith. And we go to a music festival up in Wilmer, Minnesota. And here's where my next problem with this understanding of feeling worthy came in. All these people in this vast field in the middle of this uh, town were singing out loud to, I think it was probably White Hearts at the time. Uh, you may need to go back, you know, to look at really crazy 90s Christian rock to discover who they are. They were awesome. And I remember listening to them, and then all of a sudden, some people started to do a radical thing. Now, I, I just, I'll get to this in a moment, I just started going back to a Lutheran church. And so, when people started to do this, and then maybe this, I didn't know what to do with that. And so, all that worldly, visceral kind of stuff comes up again, like, oh gosh, they must know something I don't know. There's another club I need to join, and it's the hand-raising club. And my friend Kevin, who was standing right beside me, broke that awkward silence by saying, yeah, you in the yellow, do you, do you have a question? What's going on? Because that's what we do sometimes. We use humor to kind of push away the fear that we have of not feeling like we fit in. And once again, I was put in that place where, I mean, I, I thought I was getting along with God. And now all of a sudden, there's another thing I have to do in order to feel like I fit in. Please don't hear me wrong. That's a posture thing in worship. And that's a good thing when we need to get ourselves in a place where God can work in and through us. But it's not that that person that does that has more of the Holy Spirit than you. 
That's just something that they have discovered is a great way for them to connect to who God is. And maybe that's a challenge for you. If you're not feeling like you're connecting in worship, maybe change up your posture a little bit and allow God to work in a different way. But we can't play the spirit comparison game like we did in high school with the cheer that went like this. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? You remember that? Let's try it. All right, this side of the room, we're going to convict that side of the room. We have more of the Holy Spirit, right? So you're going to say, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And we're going to see if you guys can respond better, okay? Here we go. We're going to see who has more of the Holy Spirit this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? Okay, some of you did it. Hold on. Some of you did the the holy conviction point. I want everybody to do it. We need to make sure they know we're talking about them. We don't have like the field or the court dividing us now. They need to know we are talking about them. All right? Let's try it again. Here we go. Everybody, get into this now. And. Here we go. Whoa. This isn't about winning. So he goes, they win. I love that though. But that's how we think, right? They got more spirit. Why? Because they were louder. That's an affect. A-F-F-E-C-T. That's an affect, not a reality. We can put on a lot that makes people think that we've got more. But in truth, it is a personal thing. This is about you, not about them. You are the one that's called. You don't have to measure up to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to, like, if this person got, like, a barrel and you only got a pint, it's one gift, one Holy Spirit for you, in you, and through you to do the things that God has called you to do. You don't have to challenge somebody, and it's vice versa. We don't have to be, feel inferior because somebody else appears to be more in tune with what God's doing in their life. There might be a variety of reasons why they, why they are where they are in their walk, and that should challenge us a bit. But in the end, we all get this same gift at the beginning with no strings attached to be able to do and conquer this world for Jesus Christ. We are the bearers of the good news, the greatest message ever. We've got to carry that out. And this is something that you get to do uniquely as you have been called to do. Here's how that looks like. My wife and I each have a car. And if you can believe it or not, uh, our seats are set at different levels within the car. Whenever we've tried to take her car before and I've got in and I've forgotten, which is pretty much every time, I, I hit the steering wheel because she has to sit a lot closer to the steering wheel than I do. And vice versa, when she gets in my car, the seat is set really, really far back. It'd be really hard for her to drive my car with my seat setting. Are you following me here? Same thing. It would be very hard for me to drive her car using her seat setting. But this is what we try and do sometimes. We try and serve God by using what we think your gifts are in us. Rather than trying to unleash the gifts that God has already given to you to do the work that he's called you to do in your own unique way. This is customized for you. That's the best part about the Holy Spirit. God knows you so well because he put you together. He's going to equip you with the things that he's already done in you and the things that he's going to reveal in you as you grow in him 
to do the things that he's called you to do, to reach out to this world around you, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful part about this walk that we're on. It's a constant discovery of the ways that God can use what we are already good at doing. You don't have to come up here and stand in this place and preach a message unless that is something you, feeling, you are feeling like you're called to do and go through some training and some other, you know, I'm kidding. It's not as, but this is what I feel like I've been called to do. But I can't necessarily get into the places where you are. I mean, imagine if you will for a moment that I come with you to your kid's soccer game this afternoon and pull up a chair and just sit down right there. Hey, have you heard about Jesus yet? That'd be all kinds of awkward. But we are afforded the opportunity to be in places that God is calling us to be, to share that good news with people who desperately need to hear it. And too often we miss it because we're too engaged in what we're doing to realize that there's a message that we can share in very simple ways. This is the mission we're on this summer, church. It's not an impossible one. It's very possible. And it's all rooted in this. I remember when I called Pastor Mike way back in the day to talk with him about whether or not hope would be a good fit for me in my next call in ministry. And he started to share with me some things about hope and he shared with me some of the core values that we believe here at Hope. One of them hit me square in the face and it was this one. Lost people matter to God and so they matter to us. That hadn't been my experience necessarily up to that point in places where I'd served. Yeah, lost people matter, but they really mattered to me. I love people who feel like church doesn't resonate for them. And so when I read this phrase, or when I heard this phrase and I thought about it some more, this is huge. And lost people don't necessarily mean that we can't find them in Yonkers. Lost means that for whatever reason, their connection to God has been severed. It isn't quite where it needs to be. And these are people we're encountering on a daily basis. And they have to matter to us because why? They matter to God. And so that is our mission field. That's what we're called to do, to reach out to those. And maybe that's you. Maybe in here today, maybe some of you, that was your story quite recently. You were lost in a variety of ways and somebody invited you to come in and check out this crazy church over on the west side just to see if it would resonate with you. And if that's the case, I want to say I'm glad you're here. Now we get to start this mission together and keep spreading that good news. Because the work is not yet done. But a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mike preached a message on whether or not uh, hope is big enough already. And the simple answer to that question is truthfully no. And neither is any church within the metro area because there are thousands of people still in Des Moines who, for them, church and a community of believers, not just coming in on Sunday mornings, But that community of believers is not a reality for them. They're still stuck in a story that isn't their own, that isn't what they want it to be. And they're just anxiously awaiting, and maybe some of them not even realizing it, for somebody to come along and invite them into a bigger story than their own. And you don't have to look far to find them. G.K. Chesterton said it this way. He was a Christian scholar. We make our friends and we make our enemies, but God makes our next door neighbor. God is bringing people into your midst, even now, with whom you can share that good news. That happened to me. I alluded to that middle part of my story. That's me right there. It's a very pixelated photo, and it's, uh, I'm glad it is because you can't see the bowl cut that I have and the four bottles of sun in that I put in my hair that summer. <laughs> the bleach blonded my hair. It was crazy. And this is back when we wore robes and put a carnation on. And this wasn't my small group 
from confirmation. This was my confirmation. There's 13 of us that were confirmed in the fall of 1987. That was a big deal for me at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Indianola, Iowa. But I'm not in this photo if it weren't for this guy right over here. That's Chad, Chad Bishop. He was one of my best friends at the time. And he'd been my best friend for a period of a couple of years. As it would happen, as God would, you know, in his own great way, we were riding home from a basketball practice on a Wednesday night. And they used to cut basketball practices short on Wednesdays so you could get home and get to church in time. I know that's a foreign concept now. Sermon for another time. But this is what happened in my town. And I remember sitting in the back seat and uh, his mom, Judy, was driving. And I said, hey, Chad, what are you up to tonight? And he goes, well, I have to go to church. I go, oh. I said, well, do you want to come along? I go, sure. He goes, well, I have confirmation class. I go, that sounds like fun. <coughs> and so I went. He went home. He said, I'll come back and pick you up. They came back and picked me up. They drove me over to the church. I walked in as a 14-year-old punk kid. And when I walked in, and you can imagine that with a confirmation class that small, a new kid stands out. And so I walk in, and I was so thrilled because my pastor, Gene Anderson, looked at me, and he said, oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. That's all it took. He didn't preach a sermon at me. He didn't try and, you know, tell me what was in the Bible yet. He just told me he was glad I was there, and I was hooked. I was in. I I showed up every single week. I was in the church choir back in the day because my high school choir director was also my church choir director, and she would look at me in class and say, if you don't show up. (laughs) Carrot, remember that whole thing? Okay, so earlier in the sermon. But I would show up every single week to be a part of this. These two guys right here, Chad and Pete, uh, Chad and his wife actually come here to Hope, and uh, Pete's dad did, um, they were the reason that I, I drink way more of this than I should. Because when I would go, <laughs> our pastor would brew a pot of coffee, and we thought, you know, as smart eight, you know, eighth graders, if we drank some of his coffee, he wouldn't have as much coffee, therefore wouldn't have as much caffeine, and therefore by the transitive property mathematics wouldn't teach as long. So we started drinking coffee in eighth grade. Of course, then he started brewing two pots of coffee. So, but what I got in this experience was community. On Sunday mornings, I would show up and I'd ride my moped. And the best part about it was at my church, they'd just done the, redone the parking lot. And then they made the lines. They, they didn't do it well enough. And they ended up with like a three and a half foot space near one of the curbs where you couldn't fit a car in, but my little 79 orange Honda Express fit perfectly. And I had front row, I had rock star parking every single time I went to church. And I would show up and we would hang out and we would drink coffee with the adults and talk stories. And it started from there. A simple invitation. Because of that one guy, Chad Bishop, saying, hey, yeah, you can come along. Now, fast forward, they challenged me to go to Bible camp and I began working at a Bible camp. Fast forward a little further, I go to college and I get a call to work in a church in Forest City. Fast forward a bit, now we're here this morning hanging out, 2,000 of us, sharing the good news. Because why? One kid said, I want you to show up with me. It doesn't take much, friends. And notice, we've been friends for quite a while. There's something about relationship that matters when it comes to telling people about the good news of God. Too often, I think we think we're just supposed to hammer them over the head with the gospel. They should just believe it. Why? Because it's the good news. But in truth, 
Sometimes we need to build a relationship of trust with them before they'll come in and hear it. That invitation needs to resonate in a place in their heart that matters to them. That's why it's unique for you. You speak a language in the places you get to go on a daily basis that I can't speak. And in the midst of that, whatever it is, you get to talk about also, if you are so bold as to do it, about the good news. Why it is that we believe what we believe. Why it is that we follow who we follow. And it doesn't have to be with crazy, fancy words. It just has to be authentic and real for those folks around you. And it might take more than once. You might get a no the first time. And we hate hearing the word no. And understanding that the word no might happen can cause a great amount of fear in our lives. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try and ask. Pastor Mike is fond of saying often, sometimes it takes seven times inviting someone before they'll show up. Because they want to know that you really, really, really want them to show up. Not only that, tell them you'll take them out to lunch afterwards. Use the carrot in a good way to come and be a part of what God is up to because it matters to God and so it has to matter to us. And here's the best part about it. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God says, I'm going to give you the power to do this. And maybe for some of you in here today, we need to reignite a bit of that power in you to realize that you are called for this. Because you're looking across the aisle or around the room and thinking, well, I'm glad that they're the ones that are going to do this. I mean, the disciples were still stuck in that. Verse 6, Acts 1. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel before and restore our kingdom? They still were stuck in it. Jesus, you're back. You're alive again. You're the one that's supposed to do this, right? And Jesus reminded them, no, 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 no. You are my plan A. You are the plan all along. And not only that, I'm going to give you power from the Holy Spirit to do more than you can even believe and possibly fathom. As we dig further into Acts, you're going to hear how at this point in time, the church is only about 120 people. Going to chapter 2, which you hear about next week, and the church grows to around 3,000. By chapter 4, and we're not sure how much time has passed, but by chapter 4, there are over 5,000 people in the church. That's the beginning of what we're still a part of today. And there's still more work to be done. We're not through, Church of Hope. We've got a great message to share, to continue to tell the good news. And the power of the Holy Spirit will help us so that we can go and share it to the ends of the earth. Think of how far Chad's simple invitation to me has now extended. Right now, there are folks watching online that I get to hang out with. Joan from Colorado Springs, Aaron from Boston. Um, there's folks all over the globe. We had somebody at Easter checking in from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, where they're serving. Um, they're all over the place that are checking in. That's the calling that I get to be a part of now, to share the good news with folks online. Now, that may not be your calling. You may not want to sit up in the booth with me and talk to people around the globe, but you can go right down the street. And when that message gets caught, it carries on to other folks. That's how we get to the end of the earth. And it is a powerful, crazy, audacious message of hope. Here's what it looks like. Here's what God's power, I think, still truly looks like. I'm afforded the opportunity once in a while to bring care into moments that are difficult for families. And I walked into a hospital room a couple weeks ago for one of our Ames members who we just celebrated his life this past week. 
And often when we walked into that space, we think as uh, ministry folk, we're bringing care to them. And I hope that, that happens in whatever way that God does that through me. But in this particular instance, it had been a real, it's been a tough season for me and what I've been a part of. And so I walked into there actually, honestly, kind of putting on the hat, if you will, for a moment. I didn't have a lot to give. And so when I sat down, Gary, uh, at this point, he couldn't talk well because his throat had been affected by the cancer he was suffering from. And so he couldn't swallow also. And I just thought, no, you don't have to talk. But he wanted to talk. He wanted to tell me his story about how hope came along at just the right time. Somebody invited him and his wife to go to the site in Ames. And then they took Alpha and they met a small group. And that small group had been caring for their family really radically throughout this time of his diagnosis with cancer. So much so that he looked at me and said, Mark, you know what, I'm good. I know what's happening, but I'm good because I know that God has an answer for me for death. And I'm sitting in this room going, wow. Because truth be told, I've always had a fear of it. And I'm sitting in this moment being ministered to by this man who is about to die from cancer. So fast forward a few more days, I go back up and visit with what would be our last time to talk. And I enter the room and Gary is sitting up. And he's drinking Diet Coke. And he says, hey, Mark, clear as a bell. I thought, what happened? And through the course of talking, he told me this story. He's like, you know, I I decided to pray for something. I knew where this was going, but I wanted to pray to God for one day where I could swallow and I could talk without pain. He says, I prayed for it. And here we are. I have no pain in swallowing and I'm drinking Diet Coke. Because you can have whatever you want in hospice. There are no rules. And I just sat there with this man who was obviously moving in a direction toward healing. Telling me, I'm good, Mark. Tell people about the hope of what's happening. Don't focus on the death part. Focus on the life. That was huge for me in that moment with his wife, Chris, and their kids. There's power still at work in this world. The media wants to tell you that everything's bad. It's, it's, it's going to heck in a handbasket. But look at what God is still up to in us, through us, to do great things. We still have power to do this. If we just believe that God still has the power to work through the things that we are. It doesn't mean we have to stop what's happening in the world. We just have to start right next door. And share the good news of God because there's a world that is desperately dying to know that it matters for them. There is a truth in that and a life-giving presence of God that can set things right and is still at work. The kingdom of God is now. And we are the hands and feet of God ready to bring the good news to those who need to hear it. That is you, not the person sitting next to you. Yes, they're a part of it too, but you are the bearer of the good news. Discovering your story is where it starts. What does that look like uniquely for you? What have you been uniquely called to do that nobody else does like you do it? Live that out well. So that you can be a witness. The word witness means an example. Not like witness to a crime. Witness means to be an example. 
of who God is to that world around you. And there's no time requirement for how long you've been hanging out with us that says you can't do this already. If this is your first day here, welcome to the team. I'm glad you're here. You get to be part of one of the best movements ever, the one that God is up to in and through us here at Hope. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this group of individuals that are here today, God, to hear about your good news. God, that we would be the bearers of that to the world around us, that we would be boldly proclaiming the truth that you have an answer for the problems of this world, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. God, that you would empower those folks in here for whom maybe they felt disconnected to this story a bit, to know that they are a vital, important part of the mission that we're on as a church, that they can bring the good news right where they are and to whomever they come in contact with. What a blessing that is. Because, God, you've promised us power through your Holy Spirit to do it. That's the most beautiful thing ever. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.